Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, uh, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You may be seated. Thank you, Father, for your word. There is no word like your word. Every word of yours is true. And it's true not just in that it tells us true things, but it is true and good and beautiful and living and active and powerful. And so we would pray that as we now look more closely at your word, that your word would be at work in our midst, changing us, helping us to see new things, altering our, our very desires and the very direction of our lives. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we begin a new series. We begin seven weeks, Lord willing, the plan at least is that, uh, looking at the Holy Spirit. And um, as we do so this morning, I want to kind of introduce us to hopefully what we'll try to accomplish in the next seven weeks, but in particular then look at the first question that we hope to answer, and that is, who is the Holy Spirit? But beyond that, uh, next week we will try to look at where was the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? And the week after that, uh, how does the Holy Spirit relate to the Lord Jesus Christ? And after that, how does the Holy Spirit relate to Holy Scripture? And then the last three weeks in the study, uh, our study will consider um, what does the Holy Spirit do to make Christians? And then what does the Holy Spirit do to mature Christians? And then what does the Holy Spirit do to mobilize Christians? And not that we make a big fuss out of this in our own church calendar and, and church year, and, uh, 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 but then um, seven weeks from Easter, which was two weeks ago, is Pentecost Sunday, the, the day that the church historically celebrates the, uh, the, the new covenant arrival of the Holy Spirit. Well, why? Why would we take seven weeks or so and uh, think more carefully about what the Scriptures teach us concerning the Holy Spirit? Well, as we'll see in a moment, the Holy Spirit is a member of the Godhead. We worship one God who is um, uh, comprised of three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And so we would think of, want to think about the Holy Spirit because um, you and I, all creatures, were made to know God. 
Nothing glorifies God more. Nothing satisfies the human heart, because that's what we were made for, than to seek and to know and to glory in our God. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24 say, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, uh, that he understands And knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness on the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. We were made to know and to boast in our God. It honors Him and it satisfies our souls. And yet, what He says there, we'll come back to this. That, that, that you may know that I am the Lord. That's the very, the very proper name for God is listed there, Yahweh. That you might know that I am Yahweh. The name of the Lord. Come back to that. You see, salvation, when salvation has come to our hearts by the gracious work of God, the, the work of the Holy Spirit, that should result in you and I becoming ever increasingly God-centered in our lives and in our perspectives. We should be God-centered people as followers of Christ, escaping the clutches of being self-centered or man-centered people. You and I, in Christ Jesus, were rescued. We were um, redeemed. We were reconciled in Christ by the Spirit. For what purpose? That we might know God. John 17, verse 3 says, uh, and this is eternal life. In other words, John says, Jesus is saying, and John's recording it, the, the essence of eternal life is relationship with the one true God who made us. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So why think about the Holy Spirit? Because we want to think about God. We want to think about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And yet for these next seven weeks, we will have a particular bent toward knowing God the Holy Spirit. Our method for this time together is going to be a different method than we normally do. My normal pattern is to pick a book or a section of a book and just work my way through it and pick up where we left off the week before and, and next week we'll pick up there where we left off this morning. And, but this, our method here is not going to be working through uh, one particular book or segment of the scriptures. We'll jump back into that process, that method in June, Lord willing. Each week we will take uh, uh, some scriptures and use those to help shape and give us understanding as to what we should know and experience in relationship to the Holy Spirit. But also our method is going to be incremental. And that is, um, uh, each week we're going to 
take a little bit of what we should know and realize about the Holy Spirit and, and, uh, and, and then hit the pause button until we get back together the next week and, and then build upon, upon that. And so, um, um, in other words, we're not going to know everything there is to know about the Holy Spirit after this morning. And, of course, the problem is we're not going to know everything we need to know about the Holy Spirit even after seven weeks at this. So, but at least we're seven weeks further down the road in seven weeks from now. So why start with the passage that I've just read? Why start with the passage we know as the Great Commission? We start with Jesus' commission to his church because, uh, first of all, our Lord earlier in Matthew 16 stated that he would build his church. But now in Matthew 28, our risen Lord is giving his church the, the assignment, the, the marching orders, the work that we are to do, which serves as the means by which Jesus does the work that only he can do, build his church. And there is one command in the passage that we read this morning, the one command, the one thing that the church has been assigned to do is to make disciples of all nations. We are commissioned to engage all peoples everywhere um, in, 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 on this planet for the purpose that Christ's church would be composed of a people, borrowing Revelation 5, 9, a people from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. That that, that, the church would be a variety of people um, committed to come together under the lordship of Jesus Christ to follow Jesus above everything else. As a sidebar, I would just say, I've just given to you the core of our politics. Jesus is Lord. We we are commissioned to enter into this world, into this culture, into this community. We are commissioned to build a, a, a follow, a, a, a build a, a group of followers around the confession that Jesus is Lord. Well, what's that got to do with the Holy Spirit? Well, the method for making disciples in the Great Commission comprises of three words or terms that, that modify the command to make disciples, and that, that the, those words are going, baptizing, and uh, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Particularly, I want to focus upon, as a way to start thinking about the Holy Spirit, focus upon the nature of our baptism. We, we, are, to, we are to be baptized in the Name. Now, this is really bad grammar, but it's essential grammar to, to live in harmony with the teachings of the Scripture. We are to be baptized in the name. And then what does he do? He lists the names 
of three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, uh, baptism, which is part of the methodology of us becoming disciples or followers of Christ, baptism is the marker of someone who has come to Jesus. Uh, Baptism is the biblical means uh, uh, by which we would make public our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and our resolve to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. In our baptism, we, we publicly go on record and we publicly identify with the one true God. And yet at the very outset of the Christian journey, at the very outset of, the, of our Christian discipleship, we testify to our trust in the, in the one true God. We testify that we wish to serve and worship and love and trust in and follow the one true God. And yet, concerning this one true God, from the start, we are testifying to, a one, to one true God who is comprised of three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, I start us this morning thinking about who is the Holy Spirit. We can't think about the Holy Spirit apart from thinking about the nature of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is a person along with two other persons, divine persons, I would add, who comprise God, the one true God. I, 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 on the one hand, I find it, I, I find it so intriguing that we we are called to begin our Christian discipleship by pledging and professing our trust and loyalty to a triune God. Because in in much of our thinking today in Christian culture, we we think you know. Let's not go deep and, and confusing here. I mean, the Trinity is, uh, is some awkward, esoteric doctrine. It, 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 it's, 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 uh, at best, it's something that is irrelevantly optional. It is something that is honestly, mysteriously embarrassing. It, it, it's just a weird philosophical headache that maybe if you happen to go to seminary, you might spend some time thinking about stuff like that. But since God spares most of us from having to go to seminary, most of us don't have to think about that kind of stuff. But you see what our Lord has done? He has embedded into our baptism, the start of our Christian discipleship, He has embedded into our baptism a confession of one God who is comprised of three persons. Don't be wrong. There is something of mystery here. But but you realize when the Bible uses the term mystery, uh, the the Bible uses the term mystery not as something that is absolutely unknowable, but something that is knowable only through divine revelation. In other words, God in his gracious kindness would say, "Let let let me help you think about this. Here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reveal something about myself. I'm going to reveal something about my 
triunity. That I'm going to reveal something about one God in three persons. And, and so in that sense, while there is a mystery to it, there is also something of a profound simplicity to it. There's no contradiction here. How many gods are there? There is one God. We are to, we are to pledge our faith uh, in the name. That's, 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 that's one. That's singular there. And what is that name? Well, the, the prop. I mean, God goes by many titles and descriptions, but there's only one proper name of God. In Exodus chapter 3, we, we learn that God's proper name is Yahweh. It, it's, it's the name that He discloses to His people, those who live in covenant relationship. You, you can call me by my first name, if you would. You, can, you, can, you now get to know me intimately as Yahweh. And so as a follower of Christ... Being a disciple of Christ, we publicly go on record as saying that I belong to Yahweh. I I belong to uh, the one true God. And, And yet, as sure as we confess that, we turn around and then we name three persons that are affiliated with that 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 make up the community, if you would, of this one true God. We're not, talking, we're, not, we're not talking a contradiction here. Deuteronomy chapter 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. Or Isaiah 45, 5, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. Or Isaiah 48, 11, my glory I will not give to another. Or Psalm 95, the Lord is a great God, a great king above all other gods. In fact, the all other gods in the Bible are not even really gods. They're false gods. See, there, there is one true God, and yet this one true God uh, is comprised of three people, three divine persons, and they are one. They are one in their essence. In other words, uh, uh, not a one of them is "Quote unquote," more God than the other. Other, uh, it, it is. It is not as though um, uh, God the Father is more omniscient, or more eternal, or more unchangeable, or more loving, or more just, or more omnipotent uh, than, say, the Son or the Spirit. They are co-equal, co-eternal, uh, divine persons. That make up the one God. And yet, and yet, having said that, I don't mean by that that, well, the Father is a third and the Son is a third and the, the Spirit is a third. And what do you get when you add up three thirds? Well, you, 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 you get one whole. That, that was, now, we're not talking that sort of math equation. Uh, we're talking about how each person is fully 
completely God in himself. And, and, yet, and yet those three divine persons who are each fully God are the one true God. They are, they are each divine persons. They are, not, they are not the same persons. In other words, the Father is not the Son in a later rendition who becomes the Spirit in a later rendition. Uh, no, no, simultaneously and for all eternity, our, God, our one God has always existed as three divine persons. The Son is not the Father who is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son who is not the Father. They, they, they are three distinct and distinguishable persons. And yet these three distinct and distinguishable persons are not divisible. In other words, you can't pull them apart and divide them. They, they relate to each other in distinct ways, and yet they are not divisible. For instance, why do we call God the Father? God the Father. We call God the Father, God the Father, because He reveals Himself to us as the Father of the Son. Why do we call God the Son, God the Son? We call God the Son, God the Son, because He reveals Himself to us as the Son of the Father. Why, why do we call God the Spirit, God the Spirit? We call God the Spirit, God the Spirit, because God the Spirit reveals Himself to us as the Spirit of the Father in some places and the Spirit of the Son. So He's the, he's the Spirit of the Father and the Son. You see, we, we affirm these because as we... We are compelled to, in that sense, under the authority of the Scripture. We, we, we name these individuals the names we name them because the Scripture names these individuals the names that, they, that it itself provides for us. This is, this is, uh, this is, we, we don't get creative with this stuff. We, we say, what, what are the texts of, of the Scriptures saying to us? And, 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 and let us believe everything the Scriptures teach us, no more, no less. And where the Scriptures don't teach us something, we say, I don't know, that's a good question. I don't know. I can guess, I can speculate, but I don't know. Why don't I know? Because we, we want to go as far as the text of Scripture takes us, no further. So these, these three people, um, and, and I say three people because the first thing I want us to come away with this morning as by way of introduction as we think about who is the Holy Spirit is we are talking about a person, a divine person. We are talking about not some uh, force. We are not talking about some sort of power, although he is a force and a power to be reckoned with. I mean, he's God, but we're not talking about some mere force or mere power. We are talking about a 
person, a co-equal, co-eternal person that, that is one of the three members of the Godhead. And yet, and yet as sure as there is a, 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 an equality of essence, there is um, a, uh, an equality or a, 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 a unity of, of, of work as well. Let me explain what I mean by that. In other words, the, 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 our three persons of the triune Godhead, while they are distinguishable from each other, they are indivisible from each other. Not only in their relationship to each other, but in their works. That is, every work of God, every, every way in which God relates to his creation, every way in which God relates to that which is not him, uh, the, the, the things he makes and the things he does. So we talk about the work of creation. We talk about the work of God's sustaining providence. We talk about the work of God's revelation of revealing himself to us. We talk about the work of God's redemption and consummation of all things. Every work of God, everything that God does in each of his works, he does as one God, as Father, Son, and Spirit. And and yet, every person of the Godhead is involved in every work of God. And yet, and yet there are distinct roles and within, uh, or, or activities with, within each of the works that God does. You see, the other thing I want us to make sure we walk away with is not only that the Holy Spirit is a divine person, co-equal, co-eternal uh, with the Father and the Son, is the other thing I want to make sure we leave with before we, before we wrap up section one uh, of, our, of our time thinking about the Holy Spirit is that, is that the Holy Spirit is not some wild child. He's not that crazy ant off doing his own thing again. There's the Spirit of God. You know, uh, well, why do you say that? It's weird. That's why. You know, uh, so it, it's, in other words, the, the Holy Spirit of God, and this, I think this might correct some of our misunderstandings. The Holy Spirit of God is not the rogue member of the Godhead. Right. The, you know, the Father and Son look at each other and go, <laughs> there he goes again. No, no our our. The three persons that comprise the Godhead are distinguishable from each other, but individual, I mean, but indivisible with each other, not only in the essence of who they are, but also in the works that they do in relationship to creation and created things. We might say that all the works done by God are done by the Father, in the Son, and through the Spirit. In other words, so every work of God has each person of the triune Godhead involved in some facet or another. And as a broad stroke, every work of God, whether it's the work of creation that we'll touch on next week a little bit, or the work of redemption, uh, all of the great works of God have each person of the Godhead involved in that work, and yet in their own distinct ways, and yet indivisible. 
Generally speaking, the Father is the originator of every work of God. Generally speaking, the Son is the mediator of every work of God. Generally speaking, the Holy Spirit is the completer of every work of God. But it's the Holy Spirit that completes what the Son mediates, what the Father initiates. It's not the Holy Spirit out, again, doing His own thing. We have an indivisible triune God. Or think about it this way. Think about it this way in terms of how do you and I experientially come to know God as our Father? Well, in a sense, experientially, um, while on the one hand we, we, we meet and get to know uh, the the, the members of the, of the Godhead in, in all at once, and yet, and yet from another angle, it's, 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 it's a tad bit sequential. We get access to God as our Father through the Son. Without the Son, there is no access to God as our Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you do not have the Son, you do not have the Father. You can't get to Him from any other angle or through any other mediation but through the mediatorial work of Jesus. We have access to this one God as our as Father through the Son. And yet, how is it that people like you and I ever are brought to being joined to Jesus. It's by the Spirit. We have access to the Father that is through Christ, the mediator. First P- Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, there is one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning, and, and guess what? I, and I say this not to offend you, not to put you down. Not, I, I'm glad you're here because there's hope in you being here this morning. But, but you can have God as your Father. You, you can have the, the, the very notion of God's curse uh, because of the penalty of our sin removed from your record this morning. The hostilities of a holy God could be pulled off of you this morning by you coming to Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who absorbs the justice, the very wrath of God on our behalf. He does it for people like me and people like you. He does it for any and all who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you've never come to grips with Jesus, turn to him this morning. That's how you and I get to have access to the one true God now being able to know him as Abba, Father. It's through the shed blood, the perfect life, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, how we come to Christ, ultimately how we come to Christ, is that the Spirit gives life in place of our death. The Spirit raises us up in Christ, joins us to Christ, enlivens our dead souls 
imparts to us all the graces that we need to accurately see Jesus and to, and to, and to properly then uh, put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the Holy Spirit doesn't believe for us. We believe, but, and yet, and yet we, there, there is no true believing in Jesus to have access to the Father apart from the divine, gracious agency of the Holy Spirit. So it is by the Holy Spirit, through Christ, that we get to experience God as our Father. So who is the Holy Spirit? He's the first one that we meet. He's the first member of the Godhead that that experientially we get hooked up with. For he comes and indwells us. And he sheds abroad the love of God in our hearts. So that then when we read, when we read for 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 God's love uh, has been shown to us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's the Spirit of God that says, yes, did you hear that? It's the Spirit of God that enlivens our hearts so that when we hear things about Jesus, we say, I just love to hear things about Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit of God that, that, that enlivens our hearts, that quickens our souls, so that when Jesus is spoken of, uh, we get alert. Why do we get alert and enlivened and excited about hearing of Jesus? Because it is in knowing Jesus that we get to experience all the members of the Godhead. We get to know God the Father as I close with John 17, and it reminds us again of the, the importance of grasping the triune nature of the Godhead. In John 17, uh, he says in verse 24 and in verse 26, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me and where I am to, to see my glory that you have given to me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. So you hear what he's saying? Jesus is praying to his father. He says, Father, help, help them. Help them to know who I am. Help, help me to be in them and them in me that they would know how much you love me, Father. And then he says in verse 26, I have made known to them your name and will continue to make it known with the love with which you have loved me in them and I in them. You see, the beauty of the triune nature of the Godhead is that a part of our salvation worked into our hearts by the Spirit who brings us in union with Jesus, who gives us access to the Father, is that when you and I are redeemed by the, uh, by the Son in the Spirit, we are children of God, and we are lifted up into the very love of God. The love that the Father has for the Son the love that the Father has for the Spirit, the love that the Spirit has for the Son, the love that the Spirit has for the Father, the, the love that the Son has for His Father, and the, and the love that the Son has for the Spirit, you and I are brought into that family. 
a family of triune love. So that at the end of the day, the true accent of being brought into that love is not that we would say, wow, am I special or what? But we would be so enthralled at this glimpse of the Father loving the Son, loving the Spirit, the Spirit loving the Son, loving the Father, the Son loving the Father, loving the Spirit, we would be brought into that love feast, if you would, and we would say, wow, isn't this God something? Father, thank you for your word. There's no word like your word, and there's no God like you. And we thank you, Father, for the work that you have done in your Son, by your Spirit, so that people like us would know you as our Father. So, Father, we do pray that this morning as we complete things here, that we would leave out of here with an assurance of your Spirit because of the shed blood of Jesus that we are well-loved children of God. And in so doing, we would marvel at the amazing grace of your love towards sinners. For we pray these things in Jesus' name.